Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. True story, I've preached in over 60 countries, hundreds if not over a thousand churches I've ministered in at some point or other. And when you minister in that many churches, you quickly kind of get a grasp for the church. You know, it's kind of like you, you know, you kind of can feel it out real fast. God is doing something here in Transformation Church. You need to be excited about your church. An hour before, 45 minutes before church, when I get in, when I, when I walked in, you could sense the presence of God. You could sense the unity in the place, the passion, the excitement in the place. And I'm just so excited to be here with you. And uh, follow, you have amazing pastors. Pastor Ryan and Andrea. I'm telling you, follow them. They're going to take you to new heights. In fact, literally, in, uh, as I was preparing to walk in, the worship team was still playing. I was back here and, and knelt down for just a second. I just felt like God gave me a word. And this is Tallahassee, so I feel like I'm in good company as a Seminole fan. Oh, I don't know how y'all got Mike Braddock up here, but he's a Gator fan. Um, but under Mike Norvell, the Seminoles have this thing that they've been doing now where they bring in a giant block And after the game, if they win the game, they take a sledgehammer and whoever's kind of the player of the game, the key member of the team, slams and and hits that sledgehammer on the rock and blows it up. And I was just praying a minute ago and I just felt in my spirit that this is a place where bondages are just going to be blown up, blown up. And I'm not blowing fluff. This is not me making smoke. This is bondages being blown up in this place. The spirit of the Lord is upon you to proclaim the good news, to to, to bind up the brokenhearted and to set captives free. Amen. amen, amen. So I am really excited, if you can't tell, to be here. And if you can't tell, I need you to talk back to me. Um, man, uh, we're Pentecostal and we're all under that same umbrella. So talk back to me as we talk this morning. We're going to have some fun, but also dive into th- some deep stuff. Uh, somebody a minute ago, uh, Pastor Andrea said that I'm an apologist and uh, there's probably half this room that meant, does, does that mean he, go around, he goes around and apologizes to everybody all the time? Is he really good at apologizing? No, that's a common mistake. Uh, but apologist is somebody who defends the faith. The word apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia meaning to defend. Like when you were to go into a court of law, uh, let's say you get charged with something pre-conversion, come on y'all, and you go to the court of law and you get a defense attorney who's appointed to you. He is your apologist. Uh, That's literally where the word comes from. In fact, you can go all the way back into the ancient times. There's a fellow by the name of Socrates you've probably heard of, the great Greek philosopher, and he was charged with worshiping other gods inside of Greek, uh, the Greek culture, and to fight against that, he made his apology or his apologetic uh, of his defense of why he was not. In fact, he had a pupil by the name of Plato. Maybe you've heard of Plato. Not the stuff your kids play with, right? Uh, Plato actually then took his uh, defense and wrote it down and made it much more elaborate, and it was called the apology. Uh, That's where that comes from. And so in apologetics, if somebody is attacking your Christian faith, we kind of teach you how to defend your Christian faith. And right now we live in a world that is attacking our Christian faith on this subject of the LGBTQ plus community, right? You don't have to look around very far to see that there are rainbow flags flying all over the place. And our culture as a whole has kind of just stepped into this and just assumed without it really being uh, discussed a whole lot, just assumed that that's okay. 
And so what I'm gonna do this morning is take this, this topic that can be very tense and hopefully make it not quite as tense and make it very practical to you and give you a good Christian response to the LGBT community and primarily homosexuality. That's gonna be kind of the primary one because each one would probably take a whole message unto itself. So there's probably not more of a divisive topic than that today, right? It's all around us. You see the church divided. You see America divided around this one topic. As soon as the pastor starts preaching on this, we all get anxious. Right now, you're getting anxious in your seat. You're like, what is this dude gonna say? Um, and it's something about it, man. It just brings all the kind of anxiety. So, so right off the bat, let me just talk to our LGBTQ plus friends who might be in the room. I hope you're in the room. I hope there's some people that disagree with me that are in the room. That's a healthy thing to have. And so let me talk to you guys first and everybody watching online that might uh, uh, have a different view than I have. And so first of all, let me just say, please forgive us. In general, the church has done a horrible job on this subject. In general, we have been full of anger and hatred, and we haven't known how to respond. And because we didn't know how to respond, we reacted. And when you react, you almost always react negatively. Anybody ever notice that? When you react, you almost always regret it three days later or something. But if you respond, you can respond wisely. And the church in general has reacted. And we've done a lot of things in the church that were just um, just ugly, going to gay pride parades and things like that and, and saying that AIDS was a judgment on homosexuals and God hates gays and all these kind of things that have gone on. And that's just not the heart of God. Uh, you know, and, and we're gonna talk about truth and grace in a few moments. But, but I just wanna start there because I, I recognize that I might not be your pastor, but I do represent the church and so first of all, as a person who represents the church, I apologize yeah. if you're in this room. Yeah. We have not handled this subject well, and we've probably caused hurt and pain to many of you and your friends. Uh, with that being said, secondly, I would like to say this, you matter to God. You matter to God. Often because the church world has, has not handled this situation well, oftentimes we see the church world through the image of God, and so now we think God doesn't love me, God doesn't like me, that kind of thing. You matter to God. It is still true for God so loved all the heterosexuals in the world. Now, it doesn't say that, does it? For God so loved the world, right? And so God loves you. You matter to God. Thirdly, I'd say this. You matter to me. You matter to me. Uh, this is a very personal subject to me. In fact, how I got into apologetics is many years ago, a little over 20 years ago or so, my brother came out of the closet. And when he did, as frequently accompanies this, he starts to come out of the closet and he starts to question everything. Now, his personality type is that that he would argue with a stop sign. He's kind of got, anybody know somebody like that, that personality? That's his natural personality anyway. And so he came out of the closet and quickly started attacking the faith that he was once a part of. And so I had to learn to defend myself, not only in apologetic arguments, but also just simply in homosexual arguments and LGBTQ plus arguments. And so I kind of had to dive deep in this to really protect myself just from every family get together, right? Um, and so, so this is very personal to me. It's very personal to me. And I want to just say, you matter to me if you're in this room. If you are LGBTQ and you're watching this, you matter to me. I would do anything I can for you. You matter to me. Since my brother has come out, we've had multiple nieces and nephews uh, come out of the closet, and some of them are young enough they were never in the closet because of our culture, but you matter to me. And then lastly here, I would say you matter to this church. You matter to this church. How do I know you matter to this church? Because I'm here. 
If you didn't matter to this church, they would never speak on this subject. You matter to this church. In fact, one of the core values here is that we value love. We love everyone because God, Jesus loved everyone. Listen, there is freedom in this house as we just spoke about. And we want every homosexual person in Tallahassee to come to this church. Say, why would you want that to be the case? Because transformation happens in this church. Come on. Transformation happens here. And again, I've spoken on this subject literally around the world. Uh, And so every time I do, it's almost every time, somebody comes up to me just thanking me so much afterwards because there is a long history of people who have come out of this lifestyle and are living a completely different lifestyle now. In fact, just this week, uh, uh, just this week, I go into my office and as happens frequently, there's a stack of mail on my desk that most of it gets thrown away. Come on, y'all, junk mail. Uh, But one of them was a book and I opened it up and it's a book and it's somebody who watched online and they had just published a book about how they came out of the homosexual lifestyle and are now living uh, for God, and they wrote a little book about it, and they sent it to me, and they wrote in the inscription about how much they appreciated the fact that we were willing to talk about this. Listen, you're not alone if you're coming out, right? Uh, and so anyway, you matter, you matter to this church. So let's start unpacking this uh, within uh, the context of how do we respond as a Christian community. Number one, if you're taking notes or what have you, number one is this. We must know the word of God. You got to start there. You've got to know the word of God. And the word of God is not a buffet. It's not golden corral or whatever we have up here in Tallahassee. You don't get to pick and choose which parts you like and which parts you don't like. It is not that way. You receive it as a whole. Now, there's some things that are old covenant that we don't take as a whole, but this Bible is a, as a you don't just pick and choose what you like. It doesn't work that way. Um, but we live in a world right now where that's happening very frequently. Which shouldn't surprise us because nearly 2,000 years ago, Paul writes to the young Timothy, who's this young pastor in a church, and he says this, for a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Huh. So Paul actually predicted what we're seeing right now in the United States of America, where we're going to twist the Bible to be what people want to hear instead of what it clearly says. And, and you just can't do that. And, and in fact, here's, here's, a, here's a truth that, that might not sound very spiritual, but it's just true. If we can be real and authentic for a moment, there are some verses in the Bible that I wish weren't there. I know that you are so spiritual. You love every verse that you just love the law and you meditate on it day and night and every single verse, you just think that's life. I've even had these conversations with great theologians. Not, not just a month or so ago, I was with uh, Dr. Michael Brown, one of the great theologians of our era. I was with Dr. Brown and, and we were talking about this and he said, yeah, I, I can admit there's some verses I wish weren't in the Bible too. Like gluttony stuff, come on, y'all. Some of the discipline stuff, fasting, It would be nice if fasting wasn't there, right? Stuff about hell, stuff about lust, pluck your eye out. Come on, y'all. We don't take that so literal, do we? But we don't get to change it. You don't grow taller by lowering the measuring stick. You you don't change it by, you you don't think highly of yourself by missing the mark and just raising, uh, increasing the size of the mark. A few years ago, that TV show Arrow came out, and when it came out, I got really into like, like shooting bows and arrows, 
and I got, at that point, I had a little backyard, and, and, uh, and I, bought a, I bought a little target, you know, like this, and I had an old bow and arrow, and I'm like, I'm going to start shooting bow and arrow, because, like, I'm inspired by arrow, right? And I get in the backyard with my kids, and, and we're shooting bow and arrows. Here's the problem. A little target like this, I can't even hit the target. Don't laugh at me. I know, I know up here in Tallahassee, you guys all go bow hunting or something, but I couldn't even hit the target, and I'm not going to hit my neighbor's house, so what did I do? I had to buy a big thing of hay bales and put it behind it so I could make sure I don't hit my neighbor's house, right? And then I went to the store, and I bought a bigger target. Sin is an archer's term that means to, hit the, to miss the mark, the target, the center, the bullseye, the perfection. If we are missing it, we don't create a bigger target and think somehow we're doing better. It doesn't work that way. So we don't grow taller by, by lowering the ruler, so to speak. And today what we've done is changed our theology oftentimes to fit our situations. Amen. We change what the Bible says to fit where we're at in this time. And God is not a God of our convenience. And so what begins to happen is we've been given over to a reprobate mind is the way the word of God would say it. Now I'm going to share quite a few verses with you this morning, uh, but we're going to share one main one, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. We're going to go to 12, but we're going to read 9 and 10 first. And there are uh, about six passages that are explicit in the Bible, but I would say the whole Bible is explicit on this subject. Uh, but there's six passages that are explicit. Uh, this is one of them right here. So let's just read this together. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 to start says this as Paul's writing to the church of Corinth. He says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, there's a lot of us could probably fit in that category one time or another, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy. The greedy, that's a whole lot of us in the United States of America today. Don't make me pull out the tithing records. Nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is one of those things I want to be clear about in our luncheon today, for you guys who stay, we can get more clear if you want it to be, but the Bible clearly disproves of the homosexual act. There is no if, ands, or buts. This is not people cherry-picking the Bible to make it say what they want it to say and be against the homosexual movement, as has happened sometimes with racism or women's rights and things like that. That is not this. From cover to cover, it is clear, and we can look at that longer at lunch if people would like to, but there is not one single verse in the Bible that condones anything even close to a homosexual lifestyle. And there are 31,000, uh, I think it's 31,103 or something like that, over 31,000 verses in the Bible. And there's not one that's going to be positive towards this movement. And so we got to start asking the question, what does the Bible say about this? And when you read it, it's very clear from cover to cover. Uh, there's not one verse that contradicts this. And why does the Bible disprove of homosexuality? I think this is an important thought. Because many of us see God, if we're honest, as a cosmic cop who's trying to steal our joy. And so he's waiting for us to mess up or do something he doesn't like so he can zap us, right? Zip, I gotcha. Zip, gotcha. I want to guard you from all your freedom because that's the secular humanistic mantra of our day is you need more freedom and freedom will make you happy. By the way, that is a complete lie. More freedom will destroy you. You need a level of freedom to be happy, but you need a level of responsibility, and responsibility always takes away from freedom. When I got married to my wife, I lost my sexual freedom. But I found wholeness. I found uh, something that was much deeper than the, than the false happiness of freedom. I actually found a true joy. You with me? Okay. Uh, 
but, but, but why is anything sin? Sin is sin because it, it makes you miss the mark of your best life. It makes you miss the mark of who you could be in Christ. In fact, we could say it this way, that God is the giver of life, right? And so any sin separates you to some degree from God's presence. The more you're in sin, the more you're separated from God's presence. Therefore, sin ultimately separates you from the giver of life, and so it actually takes life from you, not gives it to you. If you want life and life abundant, that's what Jesus said, you go to him, right? And so you go to the Father if you want life, but sin will always separate you from the Father. And so sin takes life. So, so what is the big deal about this? How does it take life? This is what we don't do very well as Christians sometimes is the apologetic of this and understanding this. Homosexual lifestyle, particularly male-on-male homosexual lifestyle, is incredibly physically harmful. Just let me read through a few of these things. Homosexual men are at a much higher risk of anal cancer, STDs, HIV, AIDS, hepatitis A and B, and many more diseases according to the, the CDC. Why is that? And this is key. 2% of homosexuals are monogamous or semi-monogamous. That means 10 or fewer partners. 2% are 10 or fewer partners. 43% of male homosexuals admit to having sex with 500 or more partners. 43% of male homosexuals admit to having sex with 500 or more partners. By the way, 28% admit to having sex with more than 1,000 partners, more than a quarter. 79% of those said that more than half of those partners were strangers. When you get into this lifestyle, it's incredibly physically harmful. The disease rates skyrocketed. So STDs such as gonorrhea, syphilis are rapidly increasing among the gay community and have been for a long time. Uh, the gonorrhea diagnosis went up just in, uh, uh, for, in 20 years from, the, from uh, 1988 to 2004 from 4% to 20%. That's an incredible uh, uh, increase. It's an 800% increase in likelihood of having an STD if you're homosexual. If you are, uh, it's a 500% increase in HIV if you're homosexual. Uh, in fact, gay men experience the majority, the vast majority of HIV AIDS diagnosis is still to this day at about 72% of all the infections in, 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 in HIV AIDS are from homosexual men. The CDC reports that the number of HIV AIDS diagnosis for gay men increased by 13% simply from 2001 to 2005. It's an unhealthy lifestyle, but don't take my word for it. And since 1983, the US Drug and uh, Food Administration, the FDA, has banned uh, men who have sex with men, that's how they refer to it, uh, from giving blood from anyone from 1977 until now, until recently, which I'll explain in a second. But this is what they say. This is the FDA's disclaimer. This is what their ruling was. They said this, men who have had sex with men since 1977 have an HIV rate prevalent, prevalence 60 times higher than that of the general population, 800 times higher than that of first-time blood donors, and 8,000 times higher than replete the blood donors. Men who have sex with men also have an increased risk of having other infections that can cause transmitted, uh, that can be transmitted to others by blood transfusion. For example, infection with hepatitis B, B virus is about five to six times more common, and hepatitis C virus infections are about two times more common in men who have sex with men than the general population. That's not me. That's not some Christian making this up. I'm just simply pointing out, I'm not beating anybody up, the lifestyle is unhealthy. The lifestyle is unhealthy. Now, 
in 2015, because of the pol politics of our country, they changed that to being, uh, uh, I think it was uh, 120 days or something, and in 2020, they changed it to 90 days, which is still wild because these statistics still hold up. It's just the politics of what's going on in our land that has changed that, but the, the statistics still hold up. It's, it's interesting to me that we live in a culture that is infatuated with health, right? Are y'all still with me? Okay, just shake your head or something, you know, just, you know. We're infatuated with health, man. We got, we got, you know, health clubs and gyms on every corner. Everybody wants to drink enough water. I got staff members who bring like a water thing like this and carry it around the office to make sure they're drinking enough water. I'm like, that's crazy. I just, I just drink coffee all day. Come on, y'all. And then my wife yells at me. Um, but we're, we're just infatuated with health from top to bottom, from taking vitamins to drinking healthy drinks and eating healthy foods and all these diet plans. We are infatuated with health, and at the same time, we're promoting an unhealthy lifestyle. Huh. Why is that? All sin is destructive. It takes life from us. In fact, overall, homosexual people have a 20 years a shorter lifespan than heterosexual people. And again, we can talk more about that in the Q&A afterwards if you would like to. So it's important that we start there. It's not just that the Bible says it. The Bible says it for a reason because it's destructive. God is not telling you something is sin because he doesn't want you to have fun. He's telling you something is sin because he wants to protect you. But secondly, this has to be said, especially for all of our LGBT community that might be in the room or watching online, the Bible doesn't con condemn homosexual orientation or feelings. Why? Because temptation is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. In fact, Jesus, according to Hebrews, was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. Yeah. So the temptation is not a sin. And this is why I know this, because all around this room, you have temptations to sin all over the place. You have, in fact, James would say that you have a tailor-made lust just for you. It's your own lust. That's how James said it. And it's made just for you. And generally, because it's your lust, you understand it, but you don't understand somebody else's because it's theirs. And so sometimes we have our own lust, but we don't understand somebody else's lust of homosexuality or some type of LGBTQ thing. We don't understand theirs because we only see our own. And then in the church world, we want to hide our own instead of being transformed by the Lord. So you end up with this, this orientation or propensity, which is not a choice. For the record, nobody chooses to be gay. It's a, it's a propensity. Now, here's an important thing, though. Propensity is not determinism. Let that sink in. I, we got a lot of college students in the room. I hope this all sinks in. Propensity is not determinism. Determinism means I have to do this. Propensity means I'm tempted to do this. Each one of us are born into sin and we have our own propensity towards certain sins. In fact, there are genetic propensities that are proven, that are facts. You know, the highest propensity that's on record is the Cherokee male. I know we're getting close to Cherokee country here. How many of you have Cherokee in your background? The Cherokee male is 75% likely to be, a, to be a victim of alcoholism or, or abuse alcohol. Yeah. 75, it's the highest propensity ever recorded, and it's genetic. You can see it generation to generation. And because of the high sugar alcohol, uh, uh, the concentration of sugar and alcohol, they're actually very likely to have diabetes as well. It, it's not just the old joke of fire water, it's, it's there. Does that mean that, that they should just be an alcoholic? That you should just say, oh, well, that's just what you're born into. Just go drink your life away. Of course not. Y'all with me? Of course not. But we're all born into sin, and some sins have a higher propensity in certain people. 
I have teased for a long time because I have two primary backgrounds in my family. Uh, the first one would be that uh, uh, Cherokee, my, my great-great-grandmother on my mother's side is Cherokee, and then on my father's side, it's Irish, right? And so on my father's side, we got all these red-headed people. Simpson's kind of an Irish name, got all these red-headed people. I used to have red in my beard until it started turning gray. Come on, somebody. Um, and so, so my two strongest genetic links as far as, you know, nationalities around the world are Cherokees and Irish. How am I not an alcoholic? <laughs> How did that even come out of that, right? Here's the thing. You all have propensities toward sin, and some of them very well may be genetic. In fact, some other propensities that have been proven, uh, uh, arson, murder, rape, you can actually see a genetic link in people that commit arson. There's lower melatonin levels on people that commit arson. You can see a genetic link in it to what they're going to do. Does that mean it's okay for them to come burn everything down? Of course not. Of course not. So we might get into this at lunch, but even if there's a genetic link to homosexuality, which by the way, right now there has never been proven to be, but even if there is, it doesn't make it okay. There is a genetic link to me being a man and wanting to sleep with women that are not my wife. It's called testosterone. Anybody heard of it? <laughs> it doesn't make it okay. So... We all have to fight against those own, own human uh, 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 natures. And so, so we end up with this, this, this complement of nature and nurture within our lives of what's happening and how we end up living out our lives. And just because you want to do something doesn't mean you should. I know this is not popular within our secular humanistic worldview, but I want to do a lot of things sometimes that I'm not allowed to do because it's just wrong. Some of y'all wanted to throat punch somebody on the way here just because they cut you off but you don't do it because it's wrong. And I, I know nobody wants to say this in our current society, but there's some things that are just wrong. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has taken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Listen, you will be tempted. Your temptation might be different than an LGBTQ person's temptation, but we will all be tempted and we are all responsible to do something with that temptation other than just give in to it. So we got to separate the homosexual temptation from the homosexual act. Now, this is where I think it gets really good because the very next verse in 1 Corinthians 6, we read 9 and 10 a moment ago, the very next verse says this, and that is what some of you were. This is so important. That is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the name of your church is Transformation Church. And we can tell about it being LGBTQ issues. We can talk about it being Satan worship. We can talk about it being lying or stealing. We can talk about it being depression. But this is a place where transformation happens. And in this place, you can walk out going, that is what I once was. But now I have been changed. I have been washed. I have been sanctified. I have been justified. We, we, we got we to look at this this way because you can change. I don't care what your background, your tendency, how strong it is. You can change. The power of God and the blood of Jesus Christ is great enough for anybody. Now, we live in a culture that doesn't want to believe this. All I can tell you 
is that I know dozens and dozens of people personally who have changed. We just had a lady in our church who just got married who came out of a homosexual lifestyle. She got changed in our church. She got transformed in our church. She was living with her partner. In fact, Pastor Mike was still there at the time. And uh, she wanted to be part of the worship team. We said, hey, I don't think you could be part of a worship team while you're in this lifestyle. She was a little offended, but it started a process of discipleship. She gets discipled. A few years later, she meets this dude. Now she just got married. In fact, I would say it this way. There's a lot of talk of oppression right now uh, and, and people being oppressed. And, and there's, certain, there, there's some good talk about oppression. I'm not against all of it, but I want you to hear this. I believe that the most oppressed people in America are former homosexuals who have been changed. Former homosexuals who have come out of that lifestyle because they are oppressed by that homosexual movement and you will get targeted like crazy the second you say that you can change. It, it stirs something up and no, you can't. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you what. We have this word that's associated with homosexuality. All through the month of June, we celebrate it. It's called pride. Pride. Pride is a funny word. Pride, pride is an interesting thing in general. Because if you are proud, you will never change. If you are proud of who you are, you will never change who you are. So if somebody were to change, it is the polar opposite of pride. In fact, if you want to change, it doesn't matter what you want to change, you have to have humility in that area in order to change, right? I've, at some point, I got to go, I don't want to be what I am, and so I'm going to change, right? I'm going to make the steps to be something different. doesn't matter what it is. doesn't matter what the sin is. doesn't matter if you want to change your lifestyle, whatever, change your hair color. I don't care. You got to look at it and go, I want to change. But as long as we are full of pride, we will never change. That's the problem with pride. And when you look at somebody who's in a destructive lifestyle and celebrate them and say, you should be proud of the destructive lifestyle you are in, it's actually abuse. It's not love. Hey, you should be proud. You're going to live 20 years less than everybody else around you. You should be proud because you probably have STDs or you're going to end up inheriting one. Now, I'm not beating anybody up, but I don't think we should be proud of that. I think we should be helping people come out of that. And when that happens, when you have that humility, you can change. It's, 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 it's destructive. And so we got to know the, the word of God, the word of God and why it's in the word of God. Secondly, we got to seek the heart of God. We've got to seek the heart of God. And this is where the church has done a really poor job for a long time because we've known the word of God and we've used the word of God like a sword to kill people instead of slay the enemy, which is demonic. The word of God is not meant to be used to bash another human being. That is not what the sword of the spirit is for. Here's the word of God. God loves all people. The heart of God is love and truth without love is harmful. It's harmful. It's hard to love all people, man. It's hard, it's hard to love your jerk boss. It's hard to love that lady that pulls out like 6,000 coupons in the public line or whatever grocery store we have up here. It's hard to love that person that drives 40 in a 55. Like there are all kinds of people that it is hard to love, but we are called to love them. God wants restoration. He wants healing. This is Transformation Church. We value love. We love everyone because Jesus loved everyone. We got to have a heart of love. So we should love all people. This is so hard. It's so hard. And, and I see this this is such a powerful verse, and we skim over it. John chapter 1 is one of the most profound sections of the Bible. Not that all of it's not profound, because it's the Word of God, but it stands out as particularly profound. In John chapter 1, part of it, it says this. 
The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, watch this, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. One of these things is not like the other. Grace and truth. It's like, it's like beauty and the beast. Grace, we love grace in America today. And truth. And not that he had 75% of one and 25% of the other. Grace and truth. There is a tension between grace and truth. And so what we'll have is, is we'll have the grace camp. Because you have a propensity towards one or the other, naturally. It's in, your, it's in your DNA. If you're younger, you probably definitely have a propensity towards the grace. And so because you have a propensity towards grace, when you start trying to, trying to work this thing out that you have to work out in our society, you, you end up doing this. Yeah. Right? It's, it's unbalanced. It's uneven. Because the grace person, you, you know the grace person. Jesus just loves everybody. You don't have to change anything. You, you have a divine spark inside of you. We just talked about that last night. It's beautiful. You have a divine spark. You are made in the image of God just the way you are. And the grace person, man, they are so full of grace that they will actually take that target and make it big enough for you to fit in wherever you're at. Right? That's what the grace person does. And they just love everybody and everything. And you have a natural tendency to, to maybe be a grace person. But that grace person will end up bending the truth. But then, but then you get on this side, man. You get on the other side, you get the, tr the truth person. The truth person. You know the truth people. They stand out. You better stop sinning. Get right. Fix yourself. What are you doing? The truth people say stupid stuff that they, they think is helpful, but it's not helpful. God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That's not helpful. Like, okay, thanks. What? That's, that's what the truth people do. You are, like, they're easy to spot. They, they stand out. They'll be the ones with the t-shirts on that are offensive t-shirts. They're the ones that during June were going, heterosexual pride, yeah! Right, it's like, okay, yeah, or, well, all right. But you'll get the truth camp. Get the truth camp. And you, each one of you, have a propensity based on your personality for grace or truth. In fact, we could probably divide the room in this, this you know, if we really wanted to. And say, which one are you? And if you don't, like, like just ask your spouse which one you are. <laughs> like, like, just watch the way you parent your kids. My wife is the grace person with my kids. It's awesome. She gets up in the morning. She's like, do you need some breakfast? You want to make toast? We got three minutes to leave. I'll make you some eggs. You need to eat before you leave. You're so awesome. And I'm over here, the truth person, going, get your butt in the car. We got to leave right now. We're going to be late, and you're not making me late again. Get in the car. Right? That's what, we, that's what we do. And we all have this propensity one way or the other. But my Bible tells me that Jesus came full, full of Grace and truth. That's complicated. That's, that's difficult to pull off because we all have a tendency one way or the other. And some of you in this room, you're just like, I just love everybody and Jesus just loves everybody and, and God will just work it out in heaven. I don't understand it. And then you got the truth person over here going, God loves everybody, yeah, sure, but he's not tolerating all of your sin and you are not getting to heaven as long as you're acting like that. And... and, and 
You have a propensity one way or the other. But Jesus came fulfilling 100% grace and truth. And he becomes the model for us. I heard somebody say it this way. Truth without grace is meaningless. Truth without, I'm sorry, grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is mean. Truth camp, if you tell someone that they are sinning without showing them the way to be free, that's abuse. If you tell somebody you are wrong without showing them how to be right, that's abuse. Grace camp, if you tell somebody they are right when they are not right, that's abuse. Love protects according to 1 Corinthians 13. And you do protect from, when you have your kids one day or you have kids now, hopefully you don't have so much grace that you let them, you know, run off and play in the street or whatever. Oh, I just want you to have fun. Go play in the street. It's okay. As long as you're having fun, the cars will swerve. They'll miss you. So what does this look like? What, practically, what does this look like? And I know some of you are getting lost, right? So I'm gonna, we're going to begin to lay in this plane with this one last verse, but I want you to see it. What does it look like? John chapter 8. We have a picture of what it looks like when Jesus is full of grace and truth. When he's got both grace and truth. It says this. But when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him. He sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees, don't, 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 brought, brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Some of your King James say, caught in the act of adultery. We'll come back to that in a second. I don't even know how that happens. And when they had her set in, his, in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law, truth, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. This is not recreational for all the Florida State students. Stoned does not mean, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> oh, but what do you say? Should she be stoned? What do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as if he did not hear them. As if he did not hear. I love that. You know, you know what that means. He's ignoring them. I'm, I'm not listening to you, bunch of idiots. So they continued asking him. He raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her. Uh-oh. So who's going to throw the stone? Let him throw the stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convinced, convicted by their consciences went out one by one, beginning with, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Jesus was left alone. And the woman was standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he told her, or he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Have no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, catch this, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Grace. Who is the one person who had a right under the law to condemn her, to stone her? Neither do I condemn you, full of grace. Go and leave 
your life of sin. And from now on, sin no more is the way that NIV says it. Truth, truth. It's this, this picture of grace and truth together. Jesus was the one person who could throw stones and he was so full of grace that he refuses to throw stones even though he could because they were practicing the law and the law did say that she could be stoned but he says full of grace I'm not going to stone you but full of truth go and leave your life of sin. He loved her enough to tell her the truth that what she was doing was wrong and we live in this tension of 100% grace and 100% truth whenever we're dealing with LGBTQ issues, which leads me to my last verse in 1 Corinthians 6. We started with verse 9, now let's read verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. I take that to mean this. You are born with a propensity towards grace or truth. I have a right to be full of grace. Yeah, you do. I have a right to be full of truth. Yeah, I do. But my job as a believer is to learn to balance grace and truth together. Listen, we love the LGBTQ community, but we're not going to condone it because it's unhealthy and it's unbiblical and that God can still heal. Love means by its nature that we protect. There's going to be moments where you have to step in and protect people even from themselves, even from their own ignorance. And when we are quiet, we learn, we lose the right to speak. And when we lose the right to speak and we are the salt of the earth, the light of the earth, and the earth gets dark, it starts to decay because salt and light is not there. So we have to speak out when it's appropriate. In fact, the great Martin Luther King Jr., while he was talking about racism, it still fits today with this subject because he said, we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. When there is a true thing, we have to speak up, but we have to speak up in grace and truth. We are not only judged by our words, we are judged by our actions. So how do we do that? Let me make it real practical, real fast. Let me tell you how you don't do it. Don't tweet it. Don't Facebook post it. One of the biggest problems in our society today is that we have lost the art of conversations. And we started tweeting everything with our 121 characters or whatever that is. And when you tweet something, you can never hear the heart behind it. And we started texting everything. And I know there's reasons for some of that. But when you get into these kind of subjects, you don't need to post a post and think that did it. No, you need to let somebody hear your heart. When somebody hears your heart, as what's happening in this room right now, when you take 40, 45 minutes or whatever it is, when you take that kind of time and somebody hears your heart, you may still not agree with them, but you understand them. And we've lost the art of conversations that are long format conversations and we've replayed it, replaced it with short format tweets. And anybody can fight against a tweet because you can't hear the heart behind it. And we have to remember that we're talking about real people. We're talking about people that are hurting. People that oftentimes are dealing with some mental anxiety and depression and, and mental stress that we can't even comprehend because of this. They might be confused, but we have the answer and we have to be able to share it, but recognize who they are. I'm, I'm a part of some Florida State uh, groups, um, the Seminoles, different you know, fan groups and stuff like that. And it's amazing to me the ugly things people will say. These are 19, 20, 21-year-old kids playing college football and they're like, he stinks! 
Bro, he's a kid. He should never be allowed on the field again. He's, he's a kid. He's somebody's dad or somebody's son. He's somebody's brother. And we forget that because we put them out there somewhere instead of putting them next to us. You wouldn't see the same thing if they were next to you. That's part of the way that you remedy this is you actually get in relationships and conversations with people who disagree with you. And when you do that, what you find is instead of pushing people away, you bring them closer. I'm gonna say one quick rant. A pet peeve of mine, so don't say this at the lunch. A pet peeve of mine is when people say this. I just don't understand how anybody could think that way. That's your ignorance, not theirs. Find somebody who thinks that way, sit with them, shut your mouth and ask, how do you think that way? You'll probably not agree with them. In some cases, I hope you don't agree with them, but you know what you will do? You'll start to understand them. And if you don't understand them, though, you make them the enemy out there. And that's what the church has done for far too long. But these are real people. The theologian John Stott says this, at the heart of the homosexual condition, indeed, the whole human condition is a deep loneliness. The natural human hunger for mutual love, a search for identity and a longing for completeness. If homosexual people cannot find these things inside the local church family, we have no business going on using that expression. Can't lose sight of the fact that every person is loved by God. And we have the great commission to reach every person with the love of God. I, I, close, I close with this. So what does it kind of practically look like? I'm gonna bring it all home for you in just a second. What is it like? Well, I was really intrigued when I was reading this passage because nobody ever talks about this part. I was really intrigued with how did the Pharisees find this woman caught in the act of adultery? Like seriously, y'all. Are they just like walking through houses? Bam, what's going on this morning? Like, you know what I mean? How do they find this woman? And where's the man? But that's a whole nother subject. But where do they, like, like how do you even, like, what do you just go like, you're looking for it, right? So there's either entrapment, which is a whole nother thing, right? They're either purposely catching her, quite possible, or they're like looking for it, looking for something, looking for something. It's like they got binoculars on and they're just looking for something around. Just everybody do this, right? Everybody just put your hands up like you got binoculars, like you're a kid again and you're looking, right? You know, a funny thing when you put your binoculars on and you start looking is you can see one thing, but you can't see everything. You can see one thing when you become that, that religious police. See, we can't become that religious police. When we become that religious police, we start looking for something. And when you look for something, you miss the big picture of what's going on. And when you look for sin in somebody's life, you actually lose the big picture of the somebody. You lose the big picture of the pain that they've gone through, the abuse that probably happened in their childhood, the way their dad treated them, the way their mom treated them, the way life has treated them. And you lose the big picture of who they are because we're so captivated. What about this poor woman who's probably half naked on the ground trembling before Jesus? They lost sight of her because now we're just focused on condemning Jesus and catching him. And so we start using the Bible like it's, a, like it's a magnifying glass to find sin in other people's life, like it's a binocular to, to seek out sin. But, but James tells us that the Bible's not to be used that way. The Bible's a mirror to, to, to see my own, my own sin. In fact, check this out, check this out. For all the truth people in the room, you know who you are. 
In Romans chapter one, verse 20 through 31, that's one of the times in the New Testament where homosexuality is condemned. But in that same passage, in that same 11 verses, there's a bunch of other sins that are condemned as well. Check this out. Unrighteousness, sexually, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, uh, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whispering, backbiting, hating God, violence, pride, boasting, inventing evil things, disobedience to parents. That's a funny one. Right there next to homosexuality. Lack of discernment, untrustworthiness. Check this out. Lack of love, lack of forgiveness, lack of mercy. Wait. You're telling me that you can use the same verse with a lack of love to beat somebody up when it talks about your lack of love. How do you do that? You do it because you put binoculars on and all you can see is, oh, I saw the homosexual word right there. And you don't see the other word right next to it that says you have a lack of love. And it's just as condemned as the LGBTQ lifestyle. No, no, you have to have that. And so we got to get rid of the magnifying glass. We got to recognize the plank in our own eye. So how do we actually balance this? I can tell you how Paul balanced it. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. That's how Paul referred to himself. He's like, you got sin, mine's greater. Your sin is just a lieutenant, mine's the chief, right? I am the chief of sinners. How do you balance grace and truth? You recognize who you are and what Christ has done for you. There's a whole room full of people in this room that if it were not for the grace of God, you'd be in prison right now. You'd be dead right now. You would not have survived the grace without the grace of God. But you also have the truth that he has transformed your life, that there's a new way of living. And it's all wrapped up in this one phrase, I am the chief of sinners. And when I see my own sin, I don't judge somebody for theirs. I offer grace, recognizing the truth to get you out. But I now recognize who I am. And all I am is one sinner, one hungry beggar looking for bread and found it and taking somebody else to find that same bread. Don't become the Pharisees that are just all truth. Don't become the modern secular society that's just all full of grace, but be the one who recognizes that we all have the same sickness. It's called sin. And it's being treated by the same remedy. It's the blood of Jesus. And your lack of love is not a lesser sin than somebody else's sexual lifestyle. But recognize who we are. I'm telling you this. I've said this a few times and every time I just, this is, I feel like it's so prophetic. It's hard to express and I hope you receive this. I believe, I believe that in the future of the American church, like right now, there's a lot of people, probably even in this church, that your story of salvation comes from you were saved from alcoholism or drug use or because you were a bunch of hippies in the 60s or whatever. And, and so you got saved and you left this type of lifestyle behind and now you are saved. I am convinced that in the next 20 years or so, the new testimony of the church, the dominant testimony is going to be, I used to be in a transgender lifestyle. I used to be in a homosexual lifestyle. And somehow I found both the grace and the truth of the word of God and now I have come out of it I believe that'll be the dominant testimony in our future how do we get there how do we get there let me tell you what happens in in most of our lives June comes really throughout the year but June comes and we go shopping Ada and I were in a mall in Orlando 
uh, in June, and like you can't walk into a store without 6,000 rainbow flags like all over, you know, every clothing, it's all, you know, Gay Pride Month, all that. And our human tendency for a lot of us is, is truth, and so we get mad. I know you can't shake your head right now, but I know you're in the room. And so we get, we get mad. <sighs> Pushing this down my throat, we get mad. Let me tell you how to counteract that. Recognize who you are in the salvation that you experienced, and then you can start offering grace. And let me tell you what every rainbow flag has become to me and should become to you, a reminder to pray, to pray, to pray, because that is what some of you were, but now you are washed, you are justified, you are transformed by the power of God. So when I see those things, I'm not gonna get mad, I'm gonna pray and believe that this is part of the revival that God has, because the power of Christ is the hope for for every one of us. So let's be people that balance grace, truth, recognizing who we are in this. Amen. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite Pastor Ryan to come on up and close us out. I'm sorry. I know I'm a few minutes late, but I hope you receive this this morning. Jesus, God, I believe there is a revival coming to this land. I desperately want to be a part of this revival. I know that Transformation Church is a part of this revival. And it is going to be a revival where we have to balance grace and truth. These two things that don't seem like they even fit together. And I pray that we would balance them with wisdom and integrity. God, that we would look at these issues through the heart of how you've changed us and healed us. That we would look at these challenges that come our way and see that this is a place at Transformation Church where bondages are being broken. And we believe for it and we see it. And if he healed me of anything, he can heal me of something else. So God, do a mighty work in this place as we deal with these challenges in the future. Help us to deal with them with integrity and with character and full of grace and full of truth. In Jesus' name. Come on, put your hands together for Pastor Ryan. Wow, wow, so good, so good. Was that an encouragement to you today? A little bit of a challenge as well. Thank you, Pastor Brent, thank you so much. You know, he mentioned that one of our core values is love, it's our first core value. What are core values for a church? In essence, it's our personality as a church. And at the very core of our personality is, is love. We say that we love everyone because Jesus loved everyone. And one of the ways that we are doing that today is we are offering um, a Q&A session that's gonna be downstairs in our cafe uh, following the service today because we felt, like, we felt like the way to love everyone like Jesus loved everyone is to give people an opportunity to ask questions. In this kind of a forum, it's more of we are receiving. In that forum, it's a way that we are able to have a conversation and to exchange. And so um, many of you have already RSVP'd for that, and that's amazing. That's helped us to be able to plan for food. But maybe you're here today. Maybe this is the, the first time uh, that you've joined us at Transformation Church. Welcome, by the way. We're so excited uh, that you're here. Or maybe somehow, some way, you've gotten to today and you haven't heard about 
about the Q&A. We've got some extra spots downstairs for you if you want to, if you want to join us. Um, if you, uh, if that is you, um, want to let you know that after the service, if you have kids, um, to make sure that you head back to the kids area, let them know that you're going to be joining uh, the Q&A and they'll take care of your kids for the next hour. Um, as we fellowship downstairs, we've got food and, and all of that stuff. If you did RSVP, just a reminder that you have already made arrangements. So after the service today, after you take time to fellowship, you can slip down uh, to the cafe and we got your kids covered. We're going to take care of them. They're going to have an amazing time. Um, as we get to fellowship uh, downstairs. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.